Well, for those of you who were with us last week, we did put a, uh, a PG-13 label on the sermon and, and, and gave you the chance as parents to moderate what your kids hear. Uh, today's sermon is not quite as provocative, but there is an element to one character of the story today who, uh, that might be uh, a little more sensitive to younger ears. And so over the next few minutes, you know, parents, if you make a decision on your kids being in worship, um, if any are still in worship right now, um, just want to make sure I make that disclaimer up front. Uh, yesterday, I found myself watching sports uh, even earlier than usual. Um, maybe some of you were in the same boat. We're at 9 a.m. yesterday watching the men's, uh, the men's World Cup team, the U.S. men's soccer team play in the World Cup. And, and this was a really big deal. Even if you're not a soccer fan, it was a big deal um, that the U.S. had not played in a men's World Cup in eight years. Four years ago, it was really embarrassing. They didn't even qualify, and it was really sort of a low point uh, for national pride in soccer, if that's a meaningful thing for you. Uh, and, and so it was a big deal that they made it back to the World Cup. And not only that, they also they made it out of the group stage. So there's two parts. There's a group stage, and two teams from each group make it into the knockout round, and then it's a single elimination tournament from there. So the U.S. made it out of the group stage, and then Saturday morning, yesterday, they were playing in the first round of the group stage, and, and they lost. They put up a fight, uh, but they lost. And so it was kind of this thing where you get this sense that there was, there was some redemption that happened, that, that they earned a seat at the table, that they had really, um, you know, they wanted to prove that they belonged that they were worthy of being included in the World Cup. And in some ways, they did accomplish that goal. But in other ways, yesterday was a little disappointing. It was an early exit in the knockout rounds, a little bit falling short. And so I, I just couldn't help but wonder if that's how many of us feel about our lives, where we are spending a lot of time trying to earn a seat at the table, trying to prove we belong, trying to demonstrate that we are worth something, and yet we feel like we kind of make it, and, and then we feel like, oh, we had a bump in the road, we come up a little bit short, we didn't quite get where we wanted, it doesn't quite satisfy the way that we thought that it would. And I wonder, like, what if the God who made us offers us a different way? A way of seeing ourselves, a way of seeing our lives, it's not about what we've done, but about what he has done for us. And today, I want us to see that the welcome of Christ turns outsiders into family, that, that God wants to include you in his family and that that would be the place from which you understand your worth and your belonging and the meaning in your life. So over this series, Lineage of a King, we're looking at the, the genealogy of Jesus. And specifically, in the book of Matthew, he includes four women in the Old Testament in Jesus' genealogy. And I said last week, it was highly unusual for an ancient genealogy to include women listed in that family tree. And so there's something about the inclusion of these four women that's telling us something about Jesus and what he came to do. In fact, this morning, I want us to see that it tells us something about who he intends to include and so we're going to look at a story, um, and again, I would encourage you, uh, it's kind of unusually, just to listen along as we look at the story of, uh, of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. So I want to show you how we kind of got here. Uh, last week, we started by talking about uh, a woman named Tamar. 
And so if you back up the very beginning of the patriarch and the matriarch of the Jewish family, Abraham and Sarah, and then they have a son named Isaac who has a son named Jacob who has a son named Judah. And Judah was in our story last week. Uh, Judah fathers a child by Tamar, and that child, Perez, becomes uh, in the lineage of Jesus. And then from Perez, from Judah and Tamar, what you get are six generations And then you end up with a woman named Rahab who marries a man named Salmon or Salmon, depending on how you pronounce it. (laughs) And and so that's our story today. But a lot happens historically during those six generations. So, So Judah and Tamar are part of a generation of Israelites that end up going down to Egypt and out of the land God had given them. They go down to Egypt because of a famine. They end up in Egypt for hundreds of years as a, as a family. They grow and they grow and they end up being enslaved in Egypt. And then in an event called the Exodus, there's an entire book of the Bible named after it. Uh, in, the book, in an event called the Exodus, God moves their whole family out of Egyptian slavery across the Sinai Peninsula and into the land that it was the land known as Canaan. It was what God called the promised land. He told them, I will rescue you from Egyptian slavery and I will take you back to the land that I had given your forefathers. It will be the promised land for you. And so he leads them on a journey. They're on the edge of the promised land. Moses, who was their leader, has died. So if you've heard of Moses from the Exodus, Moses has died and Joshua, who is Moses' second in command, man has taken over and they're on the edge of the promised land and they're trying to figure out how do we get in here? How do we, how do we enter the territory? And so they send two spies into a city called Jericho. So they send two spies across the river into Jericho and they end up, as they go into the city, they get welcomed into the house of a prostitute. So Rahab is the prostitute. They end up in in her house, uh, which I'm assuming uh, is a place of welcome for anyone who needs a place to enter. And so they go into her house. Now, let me pause there and say, um, based on last week's story and this week's story, that, that in our world and in theirs, that prostitution was almost always a forced uh, a forced uh, decision, not a free will choice. And so whether it was by circumstance or by the, by the control of others that women found themselves and find themselves in places of prostitution. And so Rahab is a prostitute in the story. She has a house. The two spies enter into it. Now, here's what you also need to know. They're terrible spies. <laughs> because right away, everyone knows their business. Like they must have been wearing jackets that said like Hebrew secret service on the back or something. Like they they get told on immediately. Like someone goes to the king and says, hey, there are these two spies from the Hebrews that have come into our city. They're at Rahab the prostitute's house. And so the king sends, uh, sends his guard to go to Rahab's house and says, hey, we know these men are in here. Bring them out. But for a reason that's about to become clear, Rahab decides instead to lie to them and say, no, they've already left. And she sends the king's guard on a wild goose chase to get them out of the city and out of their path. She hides the two spies on the rooftop under these stalks that are drying on the rooftop. And then she goes up to check on them. She tells them, hey, the spies have been, or the the king's guard has been sent on their way um, and gives them instructions on how to safely exit the city and then here's what she tells them. We're gonna pick up in Joshua chapter two, verse nine. It says, and she said to them, 
I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Why? Because we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. So rumor has spread. uh, And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan. So as the Jewish people were making their way around uh, around to the promised land, they encountered some nations who wanted uh, wanted to destroy them. They battled with these two nations. uh, And they completely destroyed them. And it says, when we heard of it, Our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So so Rahab says the word has reached us of what God has been doing for you. And I personally don't want any part of that. And so she's asking for them to protect her. She's asking for them to save her. And in response to the kindness that she has shown them, she's saying, please be kind to me and to my family. And so here's what they say. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so she says, I'll do what I promised. They say, I'll do what I promised. And then she helps them. She lives in a, in a house or in a, in a space that's in the city wall. And so she lets them down by a rope outside of the city and tells them which way to go to avoid the king's men. And so it's not quite like Rapunzel's hair going down the wall, um, but she lets them down and they go on their way. And then we learn Uh, we learn a couple chapters later that they kept their promise, that they gave her instructions. Here's how to signify your house so that we'll know not to destroy you and your family when we come into the city. And so they save her. Her lives are saved. Her family's saved. Um, And then she ends up living, uh, going to live with the Israelite people, marrying a man named Salmon or Salmon and, and having a child. And that child is a part of Jesus' lineage. And so in, in a whirlwind, that is, Rahab's story. And I want to spend the rest of the time helping you see the connection between Rahab and Jesus and how the welcome of Rahab helps us understand the welcome of Christ that makes outsiders family. So I want want you to see five ways, five ways that Rahab and Jesus are connected. Uh, Number one, Rahab comes needy and Jesus comes needy. Right? Rahab comes to these two spies and says, I need you to protect me when you come into the city. And you can make the case the spies are needy as well. But then what Jesus comes as a humble newborn baby in a manger, the God of the universe steps into humanity by identifying with our own broken need. And I wonder how much we don't even uh, realize that we're refusing to admit our neediness before God. And but, but Rahab comes needy, Jesus comes needy and models our own posture of need before God. Number two, Rahab is faithful to her promises and Jesus is faithful to God's promises. Rahab does what she says and Jesus does what God has promised 
that he will do. He steps into history to redeem his people and offers salvation and freedom and second chances and grace to the world through his people. God does what he says. And this one actually has a little bit of a twist to it because Rahab, uh, Rahab asks them to be faithful to return the promise that she is faithful. She asks the spies to be faithful in return. And, and Jesus is faithful to God's promises, but he also calls us to be faithful to him in return. Number three, Rahab helps God's people avoid judgment and Jesus helps us avoid judgment. So her actions help these two spies escape the judgment that would be coming if the king was able to get his hands on those two Jewish spies. But All throughout scripture, we see that there's a day coming in which God himself will judge all the sin and brokenness in the world and abolish and rid the world of all sin. And because of the work of Christ, we are not identified as sin. We are identified as free in Christ. We are not marked by our sin. We are marked by what he has done for us. We avoid God's judgment on sin because of what Christ has done for us. Number four, in Rahab, Salvation comes through an outsider. And in Jesus, salvation comes through an outsider. Now, now, the first three of the four women in our story are all non-Hebrews, non-Israelites, non-Jews, that, that God continues to use salvation or use outsiders to bring salvation to his people. And, and before you correct me on the technicality, yes, Jesus was Jewish, However, he was also God and God himself, God who is other, God who is an outsider to humans. God breaks into humanity to bring us salvation. And number five, Rahab welcomes them at great cost and Jesus welcomes us at great cost, great risk to himself. So Rahab risks her life. She puts it all on the line to help save and rescue these two Hebrew spies. And Jesus himself, he risks his life. He lays it on the line. He goes to great cost to demonstrate what his welcome and his protection looks like. And the welcome of Christ is with open arms on the cross. It's what his love looks like for us. His welcome looks like open arms. His love for us welcomes us into the family. It's not because of anything that you've done. It's never because of what you've done. It's because of what Christ has done for you because his welcome is cross-shaped. He dies and rises from the dead so that we can see that all of our striving, all of our efforts, none of it has any hold on us, that we have nothing standing in the way of God's welcome into his family. Where are you tempted to believe that that your worth that your belonging, that your seat at the table, that your value comes from something that you have done or can do versus what God has done for you in Jesus. Because the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it moves us. It doesn't leave us where we are. It comes to us no matter where we are. It comes to us, but it doesn't leave us there. Jesus moves us from outsiders who are relying on ourselves to family who are trusting in what Christ alone has done for us. It moves us 
This is what he does for us. The welcome of Christ turns outsiders into family. Rahab shows up two times in the New Testament of the Bible, twice. And in both instances, she's named Rahab, comma, the prostitute. And I think that some of us hear that and it's, it's a little like frustrating or confusing. Like why does that reputation cling to her? But if you think about it another way, maybe what the biblical writers knew was that's her story. And it did not disqualify her from being a part of the family of God because God welcomes everyone, no matter their past, for those of us who have made all the failures and those of us who have made all the mistakes and those of us who have spent our life trying to prove how worthy we are and how much we deserve a seat at the table just to keep falling short, God welcomes all of us. He turns us into his family. We know who we are. That is our story, right? Rahab is a part of the lineage of Jesus. But we too are heirs to that story. It is our story. It is our lineage. We are heirs to the story of welcome and inclusion that's only found in Christ. We are outsiders who have been welcomed despite our failings. We are the spies who come into the city and who are terrible at our jobs and who are at risk and who someone steps in to rescue us and offer us salvation that we could never get on our own. In our time of need, Jesus comes to us. When our best laid plans go up in smoke, Christ is there welcoming us into his family. If God does not put the pressure on you to prove that you belong, why do you keep putting that pressure on yourself? And more importantly, why would you keep putting that pressure on others? Our family has, uh, has moved a lot over the years. On the way in, I met somebody who said they had moved 26 times. We have not moved 26 times in our life, but our family has moved a fair amount over the last 20 years. And I don't know, those of you who have moved a lot, like the experience of every time you relocate somewhere new where you don't know a soul, there's always this fear. Will I belong? Will I be accepted? Will they like me? Will I be loved? Will I find friends? Am I worthy of having good relationships? Will I be able to call this place home? It's the fear that we face when we move somewhere new and we don't know people, when we don't have family, when we don't have people we belong to. And so as we've moved, um, we've always wrestled with that question, either out loud, but probably mostly internally. And so when we moved here five and a half years ago, we wrestled with the same thing. And I am grateful to be able to say that, that you all welcomed us with the welcome of Christ that you welcomed us, that even, uh, even though that we can have some bad days, you welcomed us, even though that you, some of you, sometimes can have some bad days, you welcomed us as well. And I'm so grateful. 
I'm so grateful that you didn't make us uh, spend a couple of years proving that we deserved to be loved, that we didn't have to prove that we can withstand a few Minnesota winters before we had friends, that, that we didn't have to show how good I could be at my job before you said, you know, come on in. Like we felt welcome because it wasn't about our performance. It was just about being welcomed with the welcome of Christ, being welcomed with open arms. This is what Jesus does for us. He doesn't make us earn our way into the family. He doesn't make us prove how good we are. He just welcomes us in when we know and trust the love of Christ, the love of Christ who offered himself for us. His love and his welcome has no strings attached. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove yourself. He loves you enough to welcome you into his family. Let's let his welcome tell us who we are and lead the way for our lives, that we would be welcoming to others and that most of all, we'd be welcoming to Christ into our story. Amen. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, I come before you thanking you for these amazing people and for the ways that you love them so deeply in Jesus. And I pray that for everyone in this room that they would be able to know the power of your welcome, that you went to great lengths and great risk and great cost to include us in your family. Let us look upon that with delight and with acceptance and with joy. God, as we transition into a time at the table to be reminded of how your love is for us and that we get to taste and see that it is good would you just remind us that your love is real and that welcome is true and that we would experience it today and all the days of our life. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, amen.